From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, November the 9th, 2017. This is episode 29, Mosquito to a Light. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined this week by two wonderful guests returning to the show. Florence Ion from many places, including All About Android and the Material Podcast here on Relay FM. Flo, welcome back. Hi. Thank you for having me this morning. It's great to have you here. Shelly Brisbane is also here, author of iOS Access for All, and one of my colleagues from, we're not going to say how how long ago at Mac User magazine. Hi, Shelly. Hello. It's nice to be here. And of course, my producer, the guy who makes the uh, trains run on time, mm-hmm. Stephen Hackett. And that's Central Time. It's Stephen Hackett. Hi. Central Time. And no one knows what Central Time is. It's like the secret time zone. Wait, you're in Central Time? Wow. Central Chicago. Time represent. I know yeah, so right. few people in Central Time. This and is now you like, know at least two. Half of oh, the people yay. here are in Central Time. Exactly. <laughs> Take that Eastern Time. It's we diversity, don't care about you. Yo. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal for Americans, by the way, because it's true. We don't get a lot of Central Timers around these yeah, parts. Yeah, we have four four time zones, but only two that anyone pays attention to. So yeah, oh actually, no one cares about. Let me let me take that no back. One cares about only us. one that anyone pays attention to, and they are not <laughs> represented here. So take that. You were on fire East this Coast morning. Time. Yeah, I've set myself on fire this morning. That's true. Accurate, <laughs> accurate statement. Topic number one. Let's talk about one of our topics instead of about time zones. Although that might be a great t- topic. Anyway, phones. I want to talk about phones a little bit. We talked a lot about the iPhone 10 last week, but I wanted to do a little phone catch up. The phones are all here now. The dust is still settling. The reviews are still coming. There's a bunch of stuff going on. I will note that uh, that uh, Samsung uh, definitely was a full on uh, full on flames in a new ad they did about a there's a there's a guy standing in line at an Apple store who's got a little notch on the top of his forehead. It's uh We'll put a link in the show notes. It's pretty funny. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, if you're Samsung, you gotta do that, I guess. You gotta lash out. It's just so obvious. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't think Apple's gonna make an ad where there's some guy with a, I don't know, bezel? No, instead they're gonna emblazon their like high res shots that you're taking with the phones onto a giant billboard in the middle of, you know, a giant highway to remind everyone, this is what you do with our phones. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I was reminded it's funny i wasn't gonna talk too much about ads but i was reminded somebody uh tweeted out a link to the old um the old droid does campaign back in the day (laughs) which is like first off that was like making fun of apple's ads which are like have peppy music and nice bright white backgrounds which is like those are kind of nice things and then they the, the contrast is like then there's like like horror movie music and lighting for the droid. It's the I'm nihilist like, smartphone ads. What is happening here? And of course, all the things that that ad complained about, the point was, are things that people want. Uh, so why would you com- complain? Anyway, but... The, uh, there's a lot of action going on right now. So uh, Samsung brought out their phones a little while ago. The iPhone 10 came out. Um, it got uh, it got an, uh, a good review from the the guy uh, Raymond Sonera at DisplayMate who reviews yep. all the screens. Did a thing about the OLED screen on the uh, on the iPhone 10 and said it's beautiful. Um, although uh, 
you know, I, I do. One of my questions for for all of you is um, if if we're running out of <laughs> things for smartphones to do, but you know, about the screens, like it definitely seems like everybody is taking the screen technology up a notch. Uh, we know that uh, that Google struggled a little bit with uh, some of the decisions it made for the Pixel Two. Some of them have to do with the technology. Some of them have to do with the expectations of their audience. Like they released a saturated mode this week in a software update because their colors on their phone were too accurate, which I think is really funny. But people are like, but I want them to be richer and brighter. And and uh, I think Android phones have been, uh, you know, sort of trained Android users to expect eye popping colors. And when Google tried to yeah. crank it back a little bit, everybody got kind of up in arms. So it's, it's interesting that Google is sort of trying to do the right thing and then kind of has to say, okay, we'll give you and I think they actually warned them, like, this is, these are not accurate colors. Don't do this. <laughs> but you can do it now. Uh, Flo, you know, you are an Android expert. What do you think about, like, Google, the pushback Google's gotten for, uh, for the Pixel 2 screen? The thing is, I didn't have as much time with the Pixel 2 XL as I have been using the Pixel 2. I've been using that as a daily driver for pretty much like the last two or three weeks, eh, pretty much since it arrived to my house uh, last month. And... I, I mean, I'm, I'm having a phenomenal experience with it. Just like the overall, the overall package of this being like the Google phone, the bona fide Google phone, the, the Google infused Android experience that Google is meant for you. Like, I, I just love that. Um, I haven't, you know, I, use the Pixel 2 XL for a little bit. I saw some of the blue tinting issues, but I have to say that. I see stuff like that across other Android devices too. So, it's, you know, I don't think it's as big of a deal as it's sort of been made out to be. I mean, Google, like, made a nicer return policy or rather a warranty for everyone just to kind of, like, ease the fears that have been brought on. Um, nobody was hurt <laughs> from this. Right. Nothing from, exploded. <laughs> nobody is, was hurt. It's good. You know, no planes were delayed. It uh-huh. was a very, like, it, it was just more of an inconvenience for some people. I think a couple of displays though did look like really heinous. I saw some photos surfacing around there. I think that has to speak just like with, um, and I know it's kind of, it's 2017 and I'm saying growing pains, but I think Google's going to have some growing pains now just as like a new relatively back to the market manufacturer of its own phones. Because even though it's doing the Nexuses for so long, like there's just something about, I'm, I'm wondering how the manufacturing process like differs with the pixel phones. Like what is kind of, di- what's going to be different down the line with this whole HTC thing. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but. Basically, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think um, the phones are great <laughs> on their own. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, about growing pains from Google, but also about like OLED is, as a technology has been around for a while, but this is a still evolving technology and, and it seems at, mm-hmm. at points rapidly evolving. Like L- LCD screens that are backlit have kind of like, you know, been figured out, but we also know all the limitations and OLED is going to be better, but it's still, it it, it still has issues, right? Like Apple, you know, by all accounts using the Samsung panels and the iPhone 10, Apple's OLED screens got these high marks. But the fact is Apple's got color shift 
there's not as much yeah. of it. They've worked on it, but you know, it still shifts to the blue if you go off axis. Um, and and then uh, it still does uh, has a possibility for image retention. There are several places like you can't turn yep. off auto brightness without reading a warning that is buried three levels down uh, that says this may affect the life of the screen. So you know, it's even in these high quality panels that Apple is sourcing, it's still OLED. It's still evolving tech. And yeah, Google got Google got bit with the XL because apparently they didn't use Samsung, right? They used like LG as a as as the source for the panels. But like, it's just one of those places we're so used to. I, I feel like all of this phone tech being kind of locked down for the last few years. It's been pretty. St- you know, pretty solid. And OLED is one of those cases where it's not really solid. They're still figuring it out and it's, and and it's, it's got benefits, but it's still a little bit hanky. You were right, by the way, they did train us on saturated colors because that's all I've been. I mean, if you're using a, if you saw a Samsung phone, uh, you know, you see it on display when you walk by a kiosk or whatever, uh, you know, you look at it, that thing is so, it's so bright and saturated and you're just, you're, you want to go to it like a like a fly or a little you know mosquito to a light like it's just so <laughs> yeah. it's really pretty and it makes things look prettier and when you i had the same sort of sensation when i looked at the pixel 2 xl i was like huh these colors are like like i know these colors are real but i, I this feels a little off to me <laughs> <laughs> it, it does feel like we're working on a very exalted plane when we can talk about such, uh, 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 I don't know, esoteric levels of color. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to be, I have to confess that I'm, I'm not somebody for whom color detail uh, works all that well with my uh, particular visual acuity. And uh, I'm one of those who, the first time I see a phone, I turn the brightness down because it drives me nuts. But be that as it may, uh, that's a personal thing for me. But I, it, it makes me happy that. We continue to have in Apple and in the Android world as well multiple phones to choose from so that those for whom color saturation or not or OLED or not is a big deal and that that makes them happy uh, can can fight on this exalted plane while the rest of us can get on with our lives and use what are perfectly lovely displays but that are not quite out on the, the bleeding edge. And I, I think Jason's right that OLED is uh, – one of those unusual issues in smartphone land where, oh my God, it's, it's hard and it's not perfect right now. And what will we do? And it's going to be fine. It just is going to take perhaps a half a generation before it all sort of sorts itself out. Shelly, you made a really good point about all the choices that we have now. I just realized this is like the first year, uh, where Apple users really have choice. <laughs> like there, there, there are varying tiers of iPhones that you can purchase now, you know, versus old, not just old versus new, I, I have but like, the third yeah. best phone that Apple makes. And I bought my phone a month ago. <laughs> I mean, I have an iPhone eight for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still you had like, you have a choice. But that's the point. I have a choice. And I, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's hilarious to say that. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, if people are going to spend the money that they spend for iPhone 10s and for mm-hmm. Pixel 2 XLs, uh, those colors should be right and they should be pleasing to the eye. And I'm not saying that that's not important to some group of people. But uh, the fact is that bleeding edge, as long as there's something a little behind the bleeding edge for those of us who, who don't want to live out there, uh, I, I think that's nothing but good. Now, Shelley, remind me, I, I remember your setup when uh, when we worked together um and if i'm not mistaken you had like did you have invert colors on as well as a screen magnifier just invert colors i didn't ever really use it yeah and i i, I do, and do you do that on your smartphone too i do yeah 
So does an OLED would would OLED screens with the the tendency because they're they're going to push OLED interfaces to be more black oriented instead of white oriented right. because you know white text on black background because of power consumption stuff. I, I would imagine that if that the further we go down that path, that actually benefits you as a user because that's a better visual mode for you. I tend to think so, but I haven't had a chance to play with a ten, so I don't know. Uh, but that kind of makes sense. And there's no uh, and there's on, no dark mode in iOS yet, <laughs> like right which is a big missing piece. Well, there sort of, of is. There's that's the thing. There's there's a now smart invert colors, which is not a true dark mode, but it's slightly better. And uh, yeah. <laughs> more app developers need to support it. But uh, it behaves generally like regular invert colors, except where images and things that a developer has specifically said should be reversed are reversed. But I think you're right that the uh, just as the Super Retinas looked a little different and the iPad Pro screens looked a little different from an invert colors point of view, and even from a regular point of view than the earlier displays, I think uh, it's a different order of magnitude. But I think the OLED is going to have uh, also a different experience, and I look forward to digging into that soon. Yeah. Um, Flo, it's funny you mentioned uh, the the mosquito to the light. Uh, this is this is the truth with television stuff too, right? Which is the problem is that in a showroom, you are drawn to bright. You're out totally out of context of your living room, and you're drawn to brightness and popping colors or the curvature. In my parents' case, who fell fell for it, they have a curved TV. <laughs> Sorry for the derisive laughter. I can't help no, it's it. Okay. I bought a TV at one point, and I remember looking at the size in the store and then thinking it was small, and then I got it home, and I was like, oh my god, this TV is gigantic. Um, because you just lose all perspective on it. And this is a challenge for, so like Apple's displays, I think because of Apple's background with, um, you know, creative professionals, they've tried for a long time to be really accurate and they've tried to push the color gamut, but they've tried to keep accurate color. And on the Android side, it's definitely been like, look, you you walk into a a phone store and, you know, you had your carrier and there's the eye popping colors on this display. And it is interesting that Google got like, pushback when Google with the Pixel 2 was like, we're going to try to make these colors a little more accurate. And, and, and some people are like, but what happened to my bright colors? And they're like, all right, okay, we'll put it <laughs> the in accuracy there. accuracy makes sense for them, too, because they're really pushing this idea of uh, Google Photos. One right. of the things that attracted me to Android in the, in the very beginning of Android's time in my life was the fact that it had Google Maps for free. Because back in those, day, back in those days, if you want a navigation on your phone, uh, you had to pay for it through your carrier. Um, or at least I did on Verizon. And so when Google Maps came, like that was the tool that kept me to it. Now it's Google Photos. Because not only do you have like unlimited storage if you get the Pixel, which is just, you know, a nice carrot on top of all this, but like the motion photos, just having like all the instant archiving of your time spent with your phone, like it's it's not something that's exclusive, but just the fact that it's bundled into this package. And then, you know, of course, they want to make a phone that kind of can kind of help, like, showcase, you know, look at these pictures you took. Look at all this stuff that we did with AI. And look how nice they look on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. The smartphones, there's still stuff going on. It's not boring, even though sometimes people write articles about how smartphones are boring. There's lots of interesting stuff going on. No, not right. Not this year. Not I this think year. we had a little everything sort of balanced out this year. Okay, I'm speaking from the Android perspective, but basically the flagships that came out this year, they were all pretty dang good. Like, mm-hmm. they, 
they were all pretty good. Um, and usually it's like not that way. And so we were kind of just floating there for a bit. And then all this happened and it got exciting again. And so, you know, it just makes my job interesting. Yeah. And you throw, <laughs> throw an Apple doing a, you know, a, a new phone after the uh, several years of iteration of the six and six S and seven mm-hmm. and eight this year. But then the 10, like that, that's a whole new phone too. So that, that it throws in a little more interest on the Apple side too. So yeah, a lot of really interesting year, uh, for smartphones. So. Nobody, uh, nobody say that it wasn't because they're wrong. It was. Um, uh, let's take a break and talk about one of our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk about uh, th- a very funny story. Actually, that's going to be my tease. I I laughed out loud when I saw it in the uh, in the notes. Um, this episode is brought to you in part by MailRoute. It's a secure hosted uh, email filtering service that you can have up and running in just minutes. It gets rid of spam and viruses, so you don't have to. They never reach your server. They get eaten away by the MailRoute server before they, it even has a chance to connect and waste your bandwidth and waste your time. You don't have to install any hardware or software. No costly upgrades or updates you need to worry about. They take care of all of that stuff so you don't have to. They have a 24-7 support team in case you do need help and a fantastic set of reporting tools and notifications so you can keep track of everything that's going on with your filtered mail. I get a message every day that includes the mail that got filtered out. And if there's a false positive, with one click, I can whitelist the sender and have the mail delivered to my inbox. So it's no extra work at all if there is a false positive and then i just get to laugh at the ridiculous uh subject lines so i'm going to tell you a few of them now because i like to stay up on the spam trends so among the spams that i did not get because of mail route replace expensive paper towels and toxic cleaners save hundreds per year huh tell me more i'm interested how to exp- i don't my paper towels aren't particularly expensive my cleaners aren't that toxic but still i'm intrigued also fans shocked by joanna's decision to leave fixer upper i don't know who that is or what that is but uh it does sound shocking that she would leave and finally results stats lottery netherlands because again the Netherlands uh, lottery numbers just never stop getting spammed to me. I don't know why I'm on that list. It doesn't matter. Apparently, there's a lottery in the Netherlands. That's all I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, MailRoute has four data centers and three X redundancy. They will take care of your mail. There's no single point of failure. They keep their servers running at one-third capacity. So if there's a spike, they're not going to go down. They are the experts. They're very smart. They know what they're doing. They lighten the load on your server before it gets to you. Find out more by going to mailroute.net slash download fm you'll get a 30-day free trial and 10 percent off the lifetime of your account and if you need it mailroute will even price match a competitor's contract thank you mailroute for supporting download netherlands lottery i just don't understand it anyway topic number two is about driverless cars we have two stories about driverless cars and i am very curious what you both think about where we are and where we might be going with driverless cars so in Phoenix, or to be more specific, in Chandler, Arizona, Waymo, which is part of Google Alphabet, is uh, about ready to launch a, a self-driving taxi uh, with no driver in the front seat. Most of these tests have had a driver in the front seat ready to take control in case of problems. They will start out with a Google employee in the back seat with a 
button that basically tells the car to pull over. But Eject! The, yeah, Sorry. that's right. With, with the ejector seat. Uh, so that's going to go on in a... Te- it, it's a 100 square mile, I think. Uh, so 10 by 10 mile uh, radius in uh, Chandler, Arizona. Uh, and, and so they announced that that's going to start happening. Also, because apparently in the desert southwest, this is where this stuff happens. Uh, Las Vegas... Uh, it brought back its self-driving shuttle this week. The idea here is there's a shuttle bus that moves on a loop in Las Vegas that's entirely self-driving. And uh, and so that's yet another example. So in Phoenix and in Las Vegas of uh, self-driving tech actually kind of moving out of the uh, theoretical and into the real. Oh, I'm just getting an update from Stephen Hackett's uh, impeccable news sources. Stephen, am I reading this right? On the first day on the job, the Las Vegas shuttle got in, a, got in an accident. <laughs> in the first hour, Jason, the first 60 minutes, it hit it hit a tractor trailer. But it was a human's uh, fault, I believe. This is my understanding. Is It's human error. What happened was yeah. it's the, the, the shuttle saw that the truck was there and stopped. And the truck, the human driving the truck was like, well, I don't, I don't see anything and just kept backing up until it crunched the bumper of the uh, self-driving shuttle. I, so, I think including in the AI, you have to account for human response to driverless cars for a while. Wait, what? That thing's moving and there's no driver. Oh, my God, I'm freaking out right now. That's going to cause some accidents. I guess so. I mean, it's, uh, there are a lot of questions about the shuttle, about whether the shuttle needs to to be do a better job of like backing away from a scary truck, because of course a human would probably think, "Ooh, scary truck! I, I can I back? Can I go back here?" And the truck was probably thinking, "I'm going to scare that little bus." <laughs> and instead, <laughs> the AI is just sitting there going, "Well, there's a truck here. I'm just going to wait until crunch." Um, so poor, poor little buddy. I yeah, know, right? Pushed in. That's no way on your first hour on the job to get hit by a truck it's no good okay it's so amazing ritual so you know all right here they are the driverless cars would you uh shelly would you uh take a ride in a driverless taxi there is a very good chance that i will be doing so tomorrow i'm doing oh, a my. new story uh going to texas a&m where they're experimenting with driverless uh vehicles and they, they've promised me a ride and i will be recording the whole time so if something bad happens to me uh, <laughs> be, I be, careful. Send some audio. be very careful <laughs> <laughs> yes very careful Yep. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I, I think the the issue with driverless cars is going to be twofold. Uh, from my perspective, human interaction and the fact that driverless cars are trying to fit into uh, streets and grids and things that are designed for uh, not only human occupancy but the way humans drive. And so uh, my my dream of the utopian future is when the uh, the the, uh, the roadway system is more oriented toward what the driverless car needs than trying to fit the driverless car into the crazy system populated by us humans so it'll be a long time before that happens but uh i i kind of i welcome our robot car overlords i mean it does sound like this is at least uh waymo's plan here is that in chandler and then gradually expanding into other parts of phoenix that this is going to be not a i mean this is the, this is the thing is this is not a one day this is like one day and that day is february 7th or whatever right like the day that this you're going to be able to do this um 
so would you i mean there are there are a lot of advantages to this i think it's not a mis- uh, it's not a mistake that this is happening in arizona where you end up with there are a lot of retirees who have issues with driving and um i know my mom lives in the greater phoenix area she doesn't live in chandler but this is definitely a there, there are there are challenges with access for older people or people who have other disabilities who can't drive that this potentially could unlock um, uh, uh, an amount of freedom that they don't they don't have or have anymore. Um, what do you think? Is that is that is that promise exciting or is it just unrealistic? Because humans are terrible. <laughs> well, the the exciting part about it is not only the freedom it gives folks, but what passes for transit and other uh, special transit type services that give older folks and folks with disabilities some ability to get door-to-door access has a lot of failings, including the cost. And, you know, I I suppose, I mean, there are a lot of things in technology that sort of just generically scare or irritate me, and I'm not allowing allowing driverless cars to be one of them because I feel like the promise is so so great. Uh, You know, if you said, all right, put up or shut up, you're going to ride tomorrow and you're going to ride all the way home from the demo 100 miles back home in a driverless car. I'm not sure I do that. Uh, But there's a lot of opportunity, like I say, not only to give people more freedom, but to change the relationship of transportation to uh, the costs that government has to put out and the ability of people to get certain places that they can't get right now. My favorite story is that uh, there's a great Apple facility here in Austin, Texas, where I live, and there's no transit access to it. So if uh, I ever, for some reason, needed to go out there, uh, I would have to to make arrangements since I'm not a driver. Uh, And it would be kind of great if uh, the technology company uh, whether Apple specifically or other companies that are working in this, or Google and Waymo, of course, um, would uh, make make driverless car access to their own facilities, perhaps a part of a, a pilot huh. project. Anyway, I, I get all utopian and dreamy when I talk about driverless cars, so I'll just stop. I like that you have your levels there, too, Shelley, of like, I'm not going to embrace it, but I'm also not, I've chosen not to rail against it. So it falls in a oh, nice, nice there's little... There's so many other things to rail against. <laughs> nice little I layer mean, in there, the not, yeah, not railing exactly. against it layer of it. <laughs> Uh, Flo, what about you? Um, so I have seen the little, I have seen the little driverless cars uh, in Mountain View, of course, because when you when you work an <laughs> afternoon in a Starbucks near Google Campus, you're bound to see yeah. some of its technology rolling down the street, um, which uh, which is fun. It's it's fun and novel, but you know this is something that my husband and I actually talk about a lot because we. You know, when you live in the Bay Area, it's such a big, vast place, and we don't have a lot of... I mean, we have transit, but it doesn't, like, all interconnect. Right. So most of the time, and because of where I live so far up north, most of the time I, I drive everywhere. So we do a lot of we do a lot of driving. And I always wonder... Um, I, I always wonder if we're going to be able to switch over, like, all these people to kind of entrust... A vehicle, but not just that. I also wonder about like the cost, how that's gonna, how that's gonna happen. Like, how are people supposed to, you know, get a car that can drive them around when they can't even like afford to pay the rent? Like, there's, there's just all these things that I keep thinking about with why driverless cars aren't like a priority. Um, I have a feeling that maybe where they're really gonna become, uh, where they're really gonna take off is, with public transportation, because I feel I just feel like that's an easier way to make that operate mm. at that scale. Um, and not only that, but I've just been reading I, I've just been reading here and there. Those who follow me on Twitter may know I'm like I 
have spent a lot of years just like reading up on BART. And I'm just like, I love, I love BART here in the Bay Area. It's our little public transit system that uh, runs between the East Bay and San Francisco and the peninsula. Um, and it's just because I grew up with it. I have an affinity for it. But I was reading that, you know, there's a, there's a debate because of how, like, I don't want to turn this into a whole like labor thing, but there's a debate because of how much it costs to pay the drivers to live in the Bay Area because our uh, cost of living is so high. Like, why not just have driverless trains? That way you're cutting out all of that. And, and, and I know it's terrible, but I see that's why I see that being adopted in that realm first, because I just see all of these. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that I was going to say when uh, Shelley mentioned the, the problem with having people uh, on the yeah. roads and how they react that we have driverless vehicles now the and even in the bay area I, I have two examples the uh the shuttle that runs uh the monorail i think it is it's not even a monorail it's a I, uh but it's a, a rail between uh the oakland airport and the yeah. oakland coliseum that's yeah, automated which is BART. <laughs> and the uh and the link that uh is at the san francisco airport which is actually believe it or not rubber tires it, it's not even a train it's sort of like a little uh yep. a little uh, weird you know, railless rail thing, and that's completely automated too. But there are no other drivers on those roads. They're just, you know, and, and they're completely yeah. automated. Um, there's safety issues. Uh, I mean, that's the question is you probably would want a, a train official on the train, even if they weren't driving it, just in case of emergencies. But um, well, for security and stuff too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want some sort of responsible human. But it, it does seem like some of the companies that have been working in driverless cars writ large are, are seem to be talking about. About making vehicles, but a lot of them are talking about economic models that make it possible for you to access them. It isn't necessarily mm-hmm. about you buying a driverless car that you own. You may very well do so, and even if it's not public transit, you may have it may be more of a, a ride sharing, Lyft, Uber type model. Or and I think that's kind of that's really fascinating because it seems like to me for driverless cars to work, as I said before, not only do you have to have a different model in terms of the roadway and the grid system and and what it means to get from one place to another, but you also have to think about economically what makes the most logical sense do we do we all own our cars do some people own cars as they do now do some people take public transportation conveyances that are driverless but support a lot of people and do some people take public transportation conveyances that support a small number of people that are aggregated with some app that says oh i'm going to the grocery store would you like to come along let's share a ride right uh, something like that so so as long as all of those economic models are still on the table, I feel confident in, about the future. But when we start narrowing it down to, well, I don't know if it makes sense for everybody to own their own driverless car, then I think that narrows the focus and makes it a lot less fun to think about the future. I like your idea of the carpooling. I always I always felt like when I lived in the city that I just wanted, it's like, can I just hitch a ride? <laughs> like, you would just stand on the street and, like, waiting for the bus, and I wish I could just, can somebody just drive me? I just need to go up, like, five just, like, a half a mile, turn right, Please? just to the grocery like, store. I'm not going <laughs> to bother you. I'm not going to talk to you. Can I just jump in and jump out? I'd really appreciate yeah, the com- it. The computers um, <laughs> the computers should be able to figure this out, especially if they're, exactly. they are all self-driving cars, and they'll be like, yeah, you know, we're going to I'm going to pick somebody up here and then I'm going to drop you off. And it's super optimized. And I, I think about that, too, because I was a public transit person when I commuted for, uh, uh, you know, I walked to the bus stop and then I took the bus. But I had those moments with my like. So my daughter is taking her driver's test today. So today Ooh, we may finally be, be out. Well, we'll see. She hasn't passed it Godspeed. yet. But uh, <laughs> but what, what I have had is 16 years of shuttling her from place to place. And a lot of that stuff is I need to. 
I, I need to take her to a kid's birthday party. And, you know, when they're little, you got to be their caretaker, too. But once they're in their teens, you you really don't. And you're just mm-hmm. a, a cab driver. And I have had those thoughts of like, <laughs> when you're moving around a town, and it's that's that's like the last couple of miles. And that's where kind of public transit often will break down because it just it just doesn't serve the right places. And I, that's when I had my fantasies of the self-driving car is my daughter is, you know, if she was 13 and she's going to a friend's house and it's a it's four miles away or five miles away and then she needs to get picked up and all of that. I that's the kind of scenario where I always think, boy, wouldn't it be great to just have put her in a put her in a car? that just takes her there and then when she's done she like asks and the car comes and gets her and takes her home that would be awesome too like so my point is just i feel like these are all interconnected things right like it would be super wasteful if your self-driving car taxi took you on your commute every day when there's a train but Mm -hmm. maybe it takes you and a couple of other people who live nearby you and have the similar commute to the train station and that's super optimized and efficient and you don't have to have a car anymore because of that i don't know i I, mean that's gonna be lyft that's gonna be lyft real soon sure well, or back when, uh, Jason, you and I worked in San Francisco at uh, Mac User, there was a Caltrain that could take those of us who lived in the South Bay up to the city, and then there was a shuttle that the company provided to take right. you to the office. Yeah. Why couldn't that be self-driving? I can still take the Caltrain or some version of that from 30 miles away, but that last literal mile... And the answer is it totally can, shuttle? but you got to watch out for the big trucks that are going to back into it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so it looks humans. like... It sounds like the technology just really needs to be catered to deal with all of the the outliers that happen with people behind cars. Because yeah. I just, you know, driving, like me, I see so many crazy people on the road. Um, and I, I just, you got to have a robot that can, can plan for the dude coming, you know, behind you, like tailgating you at 80 miles an hour. You I'm know pretty what I mean? sure like, that that is, that is the hard, I'm pretty sure that the self-driving stuff has got like driving on an empty road down. I, I'm sure they've yeah, got it nailed. It's absolutely. all about what we, and, and again, this is how we teach human drivers. This is what we've been teaching my daughter for the last six months, which is mm-hmm. anticipating other people behaving badly is like yes. the last, again, it's, it's the hardest part. Part, but it's the most important part because that's the problem is the other people who are driving badly. And I think that is true for a student driver and it's true for a robot driver, too. It's like, the, what do you do when the giant truck doesn't see you? Yeah, it's not your fault that he hit your car, but he still hit your car. How do you avoid that yeah. if you can? And obviously, the Las Vegas shuttle needs a new subroutine for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what a world we live in. It's uh, becoming more right? of a science fiction novel every <laughs> single day. Uh, let me take a break for our other sponsor, and then we'll move on to another topic. This episode of Download brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code DOWNLOADFM at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. You can make your next move with Squarespace. If you've heard the name and don't understand what they do, let me explain this. So pay attention. It, Squarespace lets you make websites for whatever you're doing. You can get a domain. You can use their templates. In the end, you don't need to know anything about making websites, and you can make yourself a website. You can make yourself an online store or create a portfolio for your work or create a blog. You can do it all. You don't have to install any software on your computer. You don't have to do any upgrades. You don't have to run a server on the internet. You don't have to know anything about anything except what you're doing, and you can get a website and a domain at Squarespace. Um, 24-7 customer support. So if you do have trouble and you say, I don't know anything, 
anything about this, you talk to them 24-7 customer support and they will help you. And you can quickly and easily get a unique domain name because you do want that. You don't want to say I'm on some, you know, random thing dot slash this and slash that and all that. No, you want to keep it simple. And they have those award-winning templates, beautifully designed, so that you don't have to be a web designer to show off your great idea. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required at all. Just go to squarespace.com, and when you do decide to sign up, use the offer code DOWNLOADFM, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. So if you need to make a website and don't know how to get started, the answer is simple. Go to Squarespace and they will help you, and then you will have a website. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting the show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next, or first, website. Okay, before we move on to topic number three, I wanted to mention a story you might have missed, something that may have flown under the radar, but might be worth your attention. There's an amazing piece this week that writer and artist James Bridle wrote on Medium. I am talking about a Medium piece. I guess that is thought thought leadership or something. Um, It is called Something is Wrong on the Internet, and it's basically a deep dive into incredibly weird, often algorithmically generated YouTube videos targeted at kids. And it's it's a a little bit of a read. I guess Medium suggests that it's a 20-minute read. It's definitely a long piece. There are lots of embedded videos there's some disturbing stuff in there but it is a it is a really thought-provoking read about how uh algorithmic generation of content and trying to fan out and generate stuff for a large audience can lead down incredibly inappropriate paths and how we as people who work on and build things in on the internet and use things on the internet need to be better than we're being uh, really thought provoking weird creepy and i recommend it check it out something is wrong on the internet it'll be in the show notes by james bridle on medium the site you go to when you want to scratch your chin and go hmm and think about something. Think Peace Central. They should have called it. Ah, Medium is probably a sh- simpler name. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about something else. Uh, Snapchat and Snap. <laughs> the results, quarterly results for Snapchat came out. They weren't good. There was a huge write-off on Spectacles because they made a whole lot of them and didn't sell them. Uh, how big of a write-off? Uh, huge. I, I mean, it's... it's uh, do you, 40, do you 40, 40 million. 40 million. 40 million. Because <laughs> they, uh, they made too many Spectacles. The, uh, Oopsie. Who, who knew? Uh, and then uh, let's also throw into the pot that they seem to have finally admitted that one of the things that was great about Snapchat that people really liked about Snapchat, uh, if you were a teenager, was that you could use it and do all these amazing things. And what bothered everybody else about it was its UI appeared to be completely impenetrable. And Snapchat, it appears, because they want to continue to grow, may have finally admitted that it's actually kind of hard to understand how Snapchat works. And you have to have... Basically, I, I don't want to speak for everybody else on this on this show, but for me, what I found as somebody who's used computer technology for several decades and can figure out almost any piece of software and has as a matter of pride without reading any instructions, I needed to have a teenager explain how Snapchat worked because I could not for the life of me figure it out. And maybe Snap is finally saying, yeah, that's a problem. 
maybe we should change how it works. But then they warn their investors, this may upset the people who already know and have figured out how to use Snapchat if we change it. What a mess. So what I wanted to to ask all of you, I mean, I'd be interested if you use Snapchat or have used it or have tried to use it. But also, uh, what do you think about like... My theory here is this is one of the challenges of any company that has management that's leading by kind of intuition or kind of stumbles into something big is that they their intuition sometimes leads them down these weird, weird paths, like, say, making lots and lots of spectacles that nobody wants. Um, and uh, I don't know. It, it was a company that was like so hot for so long, and now it seems to be making all of these missteps. There's got to be a reason for it. But uh, Flo, what, what's your take on Snapchat? Do you do you use it? Did a teenager show you how it works? I'm a prolific Snapchatter, all actually. Right. Um, a teenager did not show me. Oh, good for you. Uh, <laughs> You're better than me, I'm telling you. I was so smart. Com- completely baffled. <laughs> um... And I, I actually managed to get a couple of my friends just to use it as like a messaging platform between us, which is is fun and nice that it kind of like reminded I, I've got a couple of people to say that like I like Snapchat because they kind of got the point of it. I mean the point of Snapchat has always been that it's this really like quick messaging app. Uh, you know, your friends are on it. You can send really stupid things, you know, of you in like an AR suit of sorts. You know, you've got little like face masks and and like funny little scenes and stuff that you can do. Um, it's like an easy way to send a friend like an update if you're doing something ridiculous. Like, you know, it's just another way to quickly interact with your friends. Um the problem was that after Instagram stories came into the scene, uh, a lot of people gravitated towards that. And this, again, this is mostly my own like inference, just anecdotally what I saw happen. But what I saw happen is all the people that I had built this rapport with on Snapchat, including like quote unquote influencers and, you know, YouTube people and like people who are just really popular on social media. They started moving back to Instagram stories because they had already built such a large base over there. The problem with Snapchat is that it really exists in its own. It's kind of siloed. It exists in its own little like bubble. It doesn't uh, integrate with the other more like robust social media the way that like when you're using Instagram, you've got Facebook behind it, you know, and Twitter is its own thing. But uh Basically, what I'm trying to say is it's a real bummer that Snapchat is in this in this predicament because I actually think it's a fantastic app. I think it's a great way to keep in touch with friends and kind of like I laugh. Snapchat makes me laugh throughout the day because my friends will just check in with me. And it's it's a different way of communicating versus a text message. And even like my friends with kids, it's an easier way for them to just send me like a little snippet of what's going on um, at home versus having to deal with the whole mess of Instagram or having to deal with text messaging. I don't know if Snapchat's going to be able to turn around, though, because they lost some of those they lost some of those users that were really gung-ho on it because Instagram just had more traction. Like a lot of I saw kind of a mass exodus happen. <laughs> uh, my feed is less and less populated with new stuff on the daily, even from people who were using it to like build their social networks. 
So are you so, are you concerned about them changing the interface, or might that be good because they might lure people back? I they are going to have to change it in a way that I think mimics a little bit of what Instagram's doing because I think that there's something there, but I don't know if that's going to help because the user base is the thing that they really have to regain, and I don't know if a makeover is going to help. Um, they, you know, I think what they should be focusing on is discovery and the ability to make friends on Snapchat because I don't know how to add people unless I know or I find out through some conversation that they're using Snapchat and then that's how we become friends. Steven, I just sent you a message on Snapchat, so uh, I I do I do Look have an account. Uh I don't have it installed on my phone. I don't think at this point <laughs> Uh, well, whenever you know, I'm, that I'm, happens, look for my yeah. message. Okay. Well, that's the You'll other have problem at least one too. Message. It was marketed as just like this is for young kids and it and like right. cool LA hipsters, and of course they couldn't sell all those spectacles because not everyone is an LA hipster. I bought a pair of spectacles; they're sitting in a drawer. Do you know why? Because they make me feel really self conscious. Like I can't wear those bright spectacles around, you know, my day to day life because it attracts attention that I don't really want. <laughs> quite frankly. And I already have my phone on me, so I'm just going to keep doing snaps that way. Like, not everyone wants to be living in that social media game constantly. And I think that they have to evolve a little bit to to be on that level. Because I, you know, it it's a bummer to hear, you know, colleagues in the industry say like, whoa, well, Snapchat, isn't that for millennials? And it's like, well, that's what they market it as, but it doesn't have to be. I think that's maybe to your point has has hurt them a little bit. I mean, I'm yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm 31. I'm I'm not old, but I'm we're not, the same you know, age. Yeah, a, a, I'm not a youth either, and I feel the same way. I feel like this is something for people younger than me. And other than Jason, probably the most of the people I'm logging into my account now. Uh, most of the people <laughs> that I have connected with on Snapchat are friends of mine who are several years younger than me, and maybe it's snap snap realizing as a company that they can't uh be the size they need to be if they're just looking at that market but it's a hard balance right if they if they move too far and they lose the audience they've had they're not guaranteed they're going to pick up those people on the other end and i'm i'm very curious to see how the, how they do it I was going to say something like that, too, because if you change Snapchat a lot, does it become not cool anymore for kids? Did those kids say, all right, well, I'll just go to Instagram or I'll just go somewhere else because now mom and dad are on it. And if mom and dad are on it, like, wow, tell me about this Snapchat thing you talk about. all the time. And no kid wants that. And and I am among those who found it impenetrable. But I sort of thought that was adorable. And I could relate to my teenage nieces by saying, you know, I just don't get the Snapchat, but I'm glad you're having fun. And I follow them on Instagram and vice versa. Wow. But I, I don't like I will probably try the new interface, but is that I have no idea whether a large bunch of my friend group is there because my friend group tends to be more on Twitter. That's where I prefer to interact with them. I also personally have been pulling away from I know Facebook and Snapchat are very different than one another, but I've been pulling away from Facebook a lot. So it'll be curious for me to see whether any of the people that I would like to be in touch with are on Snapchat once they change up their interface and once I get on it just for so that I know more about what's going on with Snapchat. But I don't know. It does seem like a, a risky thing for them to change if part of the cool factor for kids is that they kind of have it to themselves and that it's an interface that an adult either can't or won't 
get comfortable with? I really wish I, I think I need to send this to Snapchat because I I think what they really need to focus on is the content and the fact that like you can do the reason I like Snapchat is because you can do I can do a very different kind of outreach and content than I can on Instagram stories. Um, stories, first of all, they tend to load a little slower. Uh, and I've heard this from both my iPhone and Android using friends. And they're not as instant the way that Snapchat is. The thing with Snapchat, though, is really good for like, it's good for like confessionals. It's good for engaging people like in conversation. Um, Snapchat is a little more now, of course, this is controversial because they are a little more free in like in uh, nudity and things of the sort. But the way I found it used is that now I'm seeing Snapchat being used for a lot of like um, for a lot of body positivity outreach and just like people embracing themselves and who they are. And I just I see this sort of resurgence happening where it's being used for uh, I want to say social justice and it's kind of awesome to see it used that way. It's awesome to see it used as a news uh a news platform because when the fires were happening in the North Bay, I went into Snapchat and I typed in the location, which you can do, and I got to see all the snaps of the people who were living up in Sonoma County who were snapping the fires. So I got to see like all of this crazy footage of people like living through the stuff. I got to see it through their eyes. The problem is none of this is advertised to people. Like Snapchat is not advertising this uh, to you guys, and that is a bummer to me because I see its usefulness. And, you know, I'm, I think maybe I just need to go down to L.A., Santa Monica. I need to just knock on the door and say, hey, guys, we need to have a conversation <laughs> about what you need to do. <laughs> so Snapchat. Snapchat. Listening. Well, I, I do think the, lar- the larger question is, like, did, did Snapchat get where it is because they are experts at understanding their audience and how social interactions work and how interfaces work or did they get there did they get where they are because they had some intu- intuition and luck because the challenge That's with them question. like rebuilding their ui and the challenge with something like launching spectacles and saying we're not just snapchat we're bigger we're snap uh is that that uh if if what they had brought with them was sort of luck and an initial idea, that's great. You can ride that a long way, but like, are they capable of rethinking things now or is that all they have? And that, that's my concern when I look at it is they're making decisions that make me wonder and admitting, I could say admitting that their uh, UI is impenetrable is maybe a first step in terms of growth. But I also look at that and think, or you could be wrecking the one thing that you have by changing it. I don't know. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I just, it's, I don't know, maybe I'll write about it so I can (laughs) tell you all. (laughs) And then make a nice snap so that we can all see it in its distilled form. As long as you view it within 24 hours, because it will disappear. There is a time limit. There is a time limit. (laughs) Steven, did you get my Snapchat chat thing? I did. I, I feel like we're really uh, engaging with each other's personal brands. These these two are not paying attention to the podcast at all. They're just mm-hmm. snapping behind the scenes. Yeah, that's, see how that's, it what's, is. that's what's happening. I just sent you. A, I did post a, a snap while we while we were doing an ad. Uh, I, I will admit. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, just on Snapchat, one little tidbit: if you are curious about the news feature and you search, uh, the good news is you can watch snaps that have expired already. So they will keep them sort of archived to that tag if you tag them. 
Um, and you could just tag them by putting a location on them. Like that's how they work. So, or posting them to a certain story. And uh, if once they're posted there, they're available for a while. So you don't have to worry about missing the news if you want to catch up. See, these are things that I need to, like, people need to know this stuff. Yeah. Snapchat tips. Snapchat. I mean, actual useful Snapchat. ones, not send a picture of your hmm. face. Uh, well, I uh, I just sent I just sent uh, Stephen a picture of me podcasting. So enjoy that. Hey, Jason, what's yeah. your fax number? <laughs> I'll get it to you off air. I think I remember the old oh, Mac okay. user fax number, so I'll get that. I'll um I'll write my fax number down and uh, put it in an envelope and mail, mail it, it to me. you. Yeah, exactly. And then you can fax me uh, all totally. you like, and I won't see them. So. That's about it for this episode. I want to remind everybody what to look out for in the week ahead. Now, Stephen often will put something in the document for me to read about what's happening in the week ahead. He has left in the document. Stephen, you want to explain what we're looking for in the week ahead here? You want to? You it's, want to? it's in all capital letters uh-huh. because I am afraid. Yeah. Okay. But we need to prepare ourselves for the holiday shopping season. Email newsletters are, are warming up. Coupons are heading our way. Now, next Prepare week for the worst. Next week is not does not contain Black Friday. The week after that, no. but next week no, is but like it starts earlier and earlier. Jason, every the whole every month. year, right? The whole week. Before. I see you cursing mm. your cursor. By the way, Stephen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the it, Google Doc. It's it's uh, that's it's dangerous. We're just all trying to circle around the uh, the, the horror that is the holiday. And shopping it's season. red and green on yeah. on my Google oh, Doc screen. That's very so nice. We've got a little it's holiday. Fancy. Black Friday is a cloud on the horizon and is coming for us all and yeah. none of us. I'm already buying stocking stuffers, by no, the way. No. I'm already. See? I know, oh, I know, but right. I have to. I listen. I was in a dark cloud last year, so I'm really looking forward to the holidays this year. I'm ready to go forward. I I am ready, guys. I feel like I'm ready to come out of the sh- of the darkness shell. Let's do this. All right. Well, I'm we'll, just going to we'll, give Snapchat spectacles to everyone. Uh, and and Flo, Flo, what you're, what <laughs> you're saying? Discounted. What you're saying is you're going to put the world in saturated mode. Oh, call back to the. <laughs> OLED jokes. Anyway, well done. Um, the also for those who are wondering, we will be doing a show on Thanksgiving week, even though that means that on that Thursday, for people in the U.S., it, you'll be perplexed because you, you'll be having turkey, and there will be an episode of download. However, I, I, I will tell you our secret plan, which is we're going to get people who aren't Americans to be on that one. Yeah, that's what we're going to do, and we're, we're going to record it a day early. Anyway, so stay tuned for that uh, exciting thanksgiving edition listen to it while you make the bird you could you could that that's uh it's going to be available for all of your turkey prep uh that you might be doing but that brings us to the end of this edition of download Flo, can you tell people where they can find the stuff that you do i'm all over the internet right now uh mostly writing for android authority and pc world at uh at present uh still freelancing but just come check me out on Twitter at oh that flow. That's where I'll let you guys know what I'm up to. Uh, and of course, you can listen to me weekly on all about Android on the Twit Network and on the Material Podcast here on Relay FM. Yay. And Shelly, where can people find the stuff that you do? You can find me on Twitter, Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y, or you can go to iOSaccessbook.com and get your pre-orders in for the iOS 10, iOS 11, pardon me, edition of the book, which will be coming out very soon. Very nice. Very nice. And Stephen Hackett, thank you, as always. Uh, You can thank me on Snapchat. (laughs) I will not. And until next week, just reminding you, I've been your host, Jason Snell. We will watch the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Bye.